Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Weirdos Podcast. Thank you for hanging out. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. This is a beautiful conversation with my new friend, Michael McMillan. Michael is a wonderful actor, a beautiful writer, and uh, hosts one of my favorite podcasts out there that I've been listening to since the beginning with a few other wonderful folks called the Bigfoot Collectors Club. And I'm so excited to dive into the topic of comics and strangeness in general with Michael today. You can check out all of his work linked below. Definitely give the Bigfoot Collectors Club a listen if you haven't yet. So yeah, enjoy the episode. We have a wonderful conversation and check out all of Michael's work linked below. I also just dropped a few new zines over in the shop, also linked below. And I've been doing a uh, daily, almost daily comic strip that's just for Patreon. So if you want any of that, hit all of those links below and enjoy the weekend. I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye. so you don't have to listen to me run through all of your wonderful <laughs> uh, shows and movies. You're acting again now, right? Is that currently happening? Uh, yeah, thankfully, uh, everyone in SAG is, I mean, uh, available to act again. Uh, I'm currently on a show called Bookie. Uh, season one is streaming on Max. I have a small supporting role, recurring role in it, but it's a very fun role, and uh, they just got picked up for season two, so I'm hoping that that i'll get a chance to come back and and build on the character hell yeah that's super exciting it's got to feel good to get back to what you are out there uh the purpose of you being out there right <laughs> yeah it's been uh it you know obviously with the pandemic and the strike it's been like a really wild number of years i will say like we i i worked on a show called crazy ex-girlfriend that wrapped in 2019 and then and i'd been doing that for four years. Um, and then the pandemic hit. And then just when things were starting to kind of get picked back up for me, the strike hit again. So it's been, you know, we're talking about creativity. It's, it's been a real challenge in the past four years, I think, thank God I have Bigfoot collectors club as an outlet like that really kept me sane during the pandemic and the strike. Um, but, but it is, you know, this has been the first time in my life, not even career where I have felt sort of external forces really impacting my creativity, you know? And so it's been, it's been hard, but I feel like if, if you can kind of get through those times, you you know, you're, you're going to be even, even in better shape for when the, the good times come back around, you know? It it's made me think a lot about the way that creative collaboration has just changed forever in the world. Like seeing things like what you're going through right now and talking to other people who are in similar situations and how like I mean, I have you on here to talk about comics. And I think one of the most beautiful wait. 
It's going to be great. And I think this will be a fun transition because I think one of the most beautiful parts about comics is that usually it's one cartoonist or a cartoonist and a writer. It's a very limited amount of people being involved and collaborating and you get a very singular voice. Like my favorite comics are usually done by a singular cartoonist who's writing, drawing, like doing the whole thing all the way through because there's it's this medium that allows you to tell these really powerful stories without tons of other people and support and infrastructure and all of this stuff. And I think there's something special to that. But on the flip side, I think what you do as an actor, whether it's through the stage or the screen or any of those things, it's this whole other type of uh, creative magic that happens that is almost like its own breed of creativity, if that makes well, sense. Well, and it's fully dependent for the most part on having a production company to do, you know, I can sit, I can pick up, I can pick up a play off my bookshelf or, you know, a Shakespeare monologue and I can sit here and I can recite it and work on it and do it by myself. But really the, the acting stuff doesn't happen until you have an audience, you know, and, and one could argue the same, the same for any sort of communicative media or art form. But, you know, even with everyone having a little pocket TV studio uh, in their hands with an iPhone or, you know, your smartphones, just acting, get, getting up and just like acting without anyone else's permission is still like a very hard thing to yeah. do. You know, there's so much gatekeeping when it comes into it. I think comedians and sketch performers have really been able to kind of break through and figure out how to do that without permission. You, you see so many people breaking through on comedy on Instagram and TikTok. But if you're just a straight up like dramatic actor, I don't know how <laughs> you use the current social media to convey your art and maybe that's a maybe i just came up with a challenge for myself you know but <laughs> but you need but look you need writers you need good writers you need directors yeah. you need dps you need people you need set deck you need hair you need makeup like um it's a really dependent art form and it's I, really why it's such a struggle because you know that's what the whole audition system comes down to and why there's so many unemployed actors in this town is because it's just you you need other people's permission to participate most of the time. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, you can always try to take the bull by the horns and create your own stuff, and that comes along with other gate other gatekeepers and other things to jump through. But this <laughs> is all to say, yes, the cool thing about comics, um, to some degree, but especially if you can draw and you can write, like you can you can you can write and draw something on a piece of paper and take a photo of it with your phone mm -hmm. and put it up on Instagram. You know, yes. there's really not a lot in your way. And that's why I started the podcast with Bryce and Riley Bigfoot collectors club, because I was tired of gatekeeping and I wanted to do something. I was a big fan of podcasts and I wanted to do something with friends that had nothing to do with the business and did not require anybody's permission to make. Yeah. And it's been one of the most rewarding experiences. And it's a lot of hard work at the same time. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. You're, this is kind of where my head's been at as we as we like step further into 2024. I'm thinking about all this kind of stuff. 
it's super interesting because I think more than ever that audience participation and those art forms that require the in-person consumption of things are more important than ever. I think people that I really respect, like Douglas Rushkoff, are calling for more in-person communal art creative aspects and things that that's what's going to bring. We're meant to be in the same room as other weirdos and like enjoying things we don't really understand why we enjoy them and like having these kind of like mystical communal community excuse me, having these mystical experiences within our local communities that we've lost completely. And on a bigger scale, we've lost those like unifying narratives that come from having like a Friday night TV lineup or like a, you know, like, like I'm, I'm not, uh, ever really saying the monoculture was the right thing but losing all of the monoculture has led to some really weird bifurcations and well not uh, not only lack. losing the monoculture but but diving directly into the uh, to the opposite end of the spectrum now yeah culture yeah. is all about division it's all about segregation yes. division putting people into little tiny groups Mm -hmm. Um, and this is sort of like the dark side and obviously I'm not saying anything new here, but with the internet, the idea of like, oh, wow. I remember the very first time this all ties into comic books. So like the very first great. time I used the internet, I must've been in sixth or seventh grade. And I went over to my buddy's house across the street and he had just gotten prodigy. And I had, I did not understand because I didn't grow up in a computer savvy house um, we had like the most basic tech available. Um, I think, you know, we, we got a CD player later than anybody else. We had a VCR, <laughs> like that was about it. You know, we had cable and that was about it. Yeah. Um, all the computers that we had in my house growing up were all three or four generations old that my dad would bring home from work when they were like tossing them out. So I didn't have full access to the internet until I was really in college um, but I remember being over at my friend's house and he was like, I got this thing called prodigy and you can do this thing called email. <laughs> and he had found other comic book collectors. And I just remember sitting he's like, here, uh, here's somebody I don't, we must've been in some type of chat room or something. I don't even know where we were because at the time I didn't understand what was happening, but he was like, Oh yeah, I met this guy and he's really into comics and he he was like, "Here, send him a message." And I like was like, "Hi, I'm Michael. Uh uh I'm really into, you know, I I, I was like, I'm, I I must have been into, I mean, all things Marvel at the time. So, yes. it was probably like Silver Surfer and Warlock and all this stuff." And I remember he wrote back whoever this individual was and Jeff, my neighbor, printed it out on a piece of paper for me. Amazing. Because I was like, well, it's a letter, so I print it out. <laughs> and, that, and I remember he was like, have you heard about this new magazine coming out called Wizard Magazine? And I wow. was like, and I was like, no, what's Wizard Magazine? And then like two, two months later, like the first issue of Wizard came out. And so the internet was like the first place I heard about Wizard Magazine. And I was like, what is this place where I can like, speak to people that I can't see and they know things that are going to happen in the future that I don't have access to, you know? Yes. Yes. That's so cool. That's beautiful. But, and but so, but that was like the thing that was like, that's all going to unite us. And now I just feel like all the niche, the fun niche aspects of the internet have just 
been weaponized against everybody and now you know yeah. it's all it's all about division it's all about dividing people's realities i heard a really good gosh what podcast was i was uh, i was listening to i can't remember but i heard a really good theory about why multiverse storylines are so popular right now in movies like in you know the mcu and mm. everything everywhere all at once and dc comics movies now obviously this is a thing that has existed in comic books for a very long time as a as a way oh, to yeah. get properties that these comic <laughs> companies were buying up from smaller co co comic companies and and then how do we get batman to uh meet shazam well we'll just say they live in parallel universes and we'll have them cross over so it was just really like an i it was all created originally to like help ip um mm -hmm. that, that these comic companies were acquiring but the but uh, this theory that I heard was the reason why it's so popular right now is that the way that we're living in our culture, we all exist within our own separate realities. And mm. your, your reality that you're living in right now is going to be a very different reality than, than, the, than the, the universe that your next door neighbor might be living in. Um, yes. Because everything is so custom tailored. The information is so cut down to exactly what you want and what you're looking for and what you believe that... And, and we're seeing it play out, obviously, on a grand scale. Like, my reality is very much different than a lot of other people living in this country or living yeah. on the planet right now. Living in your house, go, if you live with somebody, grab their phone and look at their news feed on their phone versus yours and just see how different it is. Like, just with somebody that you're interacting with the same media and everything else. Like, oh, we're yeah. all... I mean, I'm a huge uh, Robert Anton Wilson fan. I'm I'm tempted just to skip the comics and get really weird with you here right you away. Talk about reality right tunnels yes. right now. You exactly. Go reality like, tunnel. All right. And how he, like I you know again to bring up uh, Douglas Rushkoff, he's said several times him and uh, Are You Serious that uh, Operation Mindfuck may have worked a little too well. Like these mm. this disinformation ideas and these things that they were playing with as ways to induce novelty. The whole idea that they were playing with is ways to break open those reality tunnels and those cracks to allow you to realize that the world's fucking magic and we can kind of form this stuff the way we want, that our imaginations are more powerful than we give them the the uh, respect for, or however you want to say it, you know? But I think that uh, this whole, the way that people are looking at the multiverse, I, I hadn't heard that. That's beautiful, and it lines up so well. And it's funny you bring that up, because somebody who I've heard talk a lot about the multiverse theory recently is the philosopher I just mentioned to you before we started recording, Bernardo Castro. And his whole rap on it is that it's the materialist way to cling on to materialism. Like it's a materialist view of how weird shit is, but really it's just our minds making those realities. Like it's still a way to not say, to say that matter is fundamental and that consciousness is not. And it's a really interesting, I'm probably not going to be able to, to like explain his. No, uh, that's interesting. His, so it's, well, it, well, I like that idea because it's the idea of, which also I think is popular in our culture right now too, is, and you even see it in, um, you even see it in like little videos that come across, come up, pop up on your Instagram feed, depending on wh what reality tunnel you're in. But I see a lot of like, I never discovered this in the Pixar movies before. And then they try to link yes. all the Pixar movies together or they, you know, this mm -hmm. idea of that, like the Indiana Jones trilogy is a fever dream that Han Solo has yeah. 
when he's frozen in carbonite because there's little like inside jokes and Easter eggs about the Star Wars trilogy buried in all the Indiana Jones movies, yes. you know, like Club Obi-Wan. Totally. R2 and 3PO being etched into the Well of Souls and Raiders. Um, but this idea of, uh, I like this this sort of idea that the, 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 the we're obsessed is like, what if, what if I had done the X instead of Y? What would my life be like? You know, or mm-hmm. what if, what if it's all connected in a way that's meaningful to me, but it does seem to be all based in sort of a material reality of like, what, how do my choices affect the material outcome of the universe that we're yes. living in, as opposed totally. to exploring, well, what are those multiple realities and universes within your own mind? Exactly. And the thing that like, a lot of people, they transfer that to like, oh, I made this decision. There's a physical another me and a physical another multiverse right. that married that person. And none of that's true. And I think, or none of that's, I don't want to say no, that's true. No, that is like, could be true. Physically, it could be true. Sure. But like the, the idea that our minds can construct these things makes way more sense to me when you look at the different threads throughout, like essentially, and again, I can't do science talk at all, but he explains how like oh, modern quantum physics and all of this stuff is like string theory multiverse all of that's out the window at this point like the way that things are going everyone's leaning on like panpsychism consciousness is not local or like idealism or these new forms of like yeah we create everything with our minds essentially and to take it back to comics it's what grant morrison has been saying since the invisibles and before which i i love like i think that those like a full set um sitting actually i have it over in my occult section i don't have it uh it's, i'm putting look yes. it's in frame it's as we're recording in, right there that's so awesome yeah it. it's uh it's in the I, I keep it with the occult stuff and not with the rest of my graphic novels <laughs> that's beautiful i love thinking about a time and i wasn't buying comics when the invisibles was like coming out in the shops like yeah that was a little before my i was too young i was but i was too young to i would have been too young to wrap my brain around it 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 looked too scary and intimidating (laughs) i remember i remember there was an episode of roseanne where um uh arlene's boyfriend who's played by david yeah, David, who's played by the actor who I'm blanking on his name, who was in I can't Big remember Bang Big Bang. It's the first place I ever saw Evan Dorkin artwork, Milk and Cheese. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's when I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? We're, Roseanne's cool because there was there were Evan Dorkin references, and I think there was like Milk and Cheese stuff, and then there mm-hmm. was David had a poster of the Invisibles hanging up in his basement bedroom. Yes, and I was like, wait, I've seen that at my comic shop. That must be cool, but I don't know what it is. You know, it looks yes. a little, you know, the characters are all dressed in sort of SM gear and it's very mm-hmm. occulty. It was too, too scary for me. Um, but I read that, I finally read it back in, I think, two, it would have been shortly after. I, I can't believe I didn't even read it in college, but I finally, finally sat down and read it, I think in like the early 2000s, probably 2004, around the time I moved out to LA. And I had recently been going through a a period in my life, which I felt looking back felt very fucking magical. And, and, and I, I don't know what was going on in my, my life at the time, but 
I had gotten into this concept with a college buddy of mine, and and I'm sure unpacking some of this, it feels I'm I'm worried it might be a little narcissistic, but like I guess a little bit of a lot of like occult stuff is very self-centered, I guess, when it comes to like <laughs> how it works, man- really. <laughs> man- manifesting stuff. But this was before I really got into any of any of all of that. But we'd come up with this term called personal mythology, right? This idea of like what are the 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 things that are the the symbols and the 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 music, the stories, the things that mean the most to you, right? Yeah, and. I didn't really have much of a of of a thesis statement on it, but I but I sort of like leaned into this philosophy of like cultivating and harvesting my own personal mythology, and it would it would it would manifest in ways like I was a huge fan and still am, but uh, of Paul Thomas Anderson's films, um, oh, yeah. especially the early stuff that that was had come out when I was in high school and college, like Boogie Nights and Magnolia. And I was obsessed with, I loved Philip Seymour. Philip Seymour Hoffman's probably my all-time favorite actor. And John C. Riley and all those guys that were in the those casts of those movies. And I remember they were all kind of like in this. I'm getting I'm speaking very abstract here, but like they were they they were those were all actors that I held close to my own personal mythology, right? Yeah. And then in college around the time I'm really buzzing with these ideas, I go to New York. I go to a friend from high school's small theater company's opening and boom, Philip Seymour Hoffman is there. And like, I smoke, I meet him. I smoke a cigarette with him. I talk to Amazing. him, you know? And I was like, holy shit, this is wild. Like I've been like watching this guy's work, idolizing his stuff. And it's just, it was like just that easy to like, walk into a room and, and, and meet him. And there were a lot of synchronicities and cool things like that happening in my life around that time. And, and I think that really carried into when I first moved out to LA and, and I, I shot a pilot starring Luis Guzman, who's in Boogie Nights and Punch Drunk Love. (laughs) And Paul Thomas Anderson was sitting at the taping for that. You know what I mean? There was all this like, I don't know. It's just a lot of like synchronicitous stuff happening around that time in my life. And I think helped get me started in my career. And I have found lately, I'm like, I need a little bit more of that juice. I don't know where it, where, where it went or if I've lost faith or I just haven't been cultivating my own personal mythology lately. But, um, can't remember how I got off on this tangent. But no, this I is great. We talking- you just oh, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think like then leaning into other other uh, um, works that really influenced that when I was in college was Alan Moore's Promethea. Uh, like oh. Promethea had a massive impact on me, and Promethea was actually kind of the first place where I really started to think about magic with a K and occult yeah. stuff. And I've never really been a big practitioner of any of this stuff. I've dabbled a little bit in like sigil magic thanks to grant morrison's pop magic and tarot stuff um you know i've i've really lightly dabbled in this because it really does feel like a it takes so much concentration and be such a such a commitment Um, totally 
Yeah, I, I don't want to cut you off, but let me throw no, something out. This is something please. I've been waiting to say to somebody for a minute because I had this idea the other day or it's been popping in my head. But do you think it's possibly because you have so many other creative outlets? And and hear me out because I talk to a lot of creatives and almost all of them, like I just had a wonderful conversation with Dr. Jeff Kripal and he's like, I can't meditate. I'm not religious for shit. Like I can't do that but I write every morning. That is my uh -huh. spiritual practice. That is my, and I have this uh, intuition that the more creative and the more you have, the more outlets you have for that creativity, the less you need the magic with a K because you're already touching the same thing. You're already uh, working that muscle. <laughs> maybe, I mean, may, maybe, thank you, first of all. And, 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 and maybe, although I have lately been thinking that like part of it comes with like honing in and narrowing down to yeah. one or two things, right? Because yeah. I feel like for me, I started to expand into other fields. Um, excuse me. In um, around 2010, I started writing comic books and getting into um, writing my own stuff and then writing stuff for like the True Blood comic book series. And there was this... I think there was a moment in that around that time where working on a show like True Blood kind of open open doors to new opportunities, and I had been dying to get into comics, and um, but I I I almost feel like sometimes I had great experiences doing that stuff, and I don't think I'm done writing comic books. But a few years ago, I kind of took a step back from it a little bit because I just felt like I was spreading myself maybe a little thin, you know, yeah. and going into uh, a, a field uh, that I loved and turning it into another way to try to get work or generate work started to become a bummer for me, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's sort of like the danger of like, be careful making your hobbies, your job. Um, and I don't That's know, I'm one. still kind of on, I'm, I'm, I'm unpacking my feelings about that stuff. And there were other factors in the decision to step back from that a little bit too. But, um, I wonder, I wonder if like, maybe I just need to just focus on if I only devoted my creative energy towards my acting, you know, yes. and like, let's say got rid of the podcast, got rid of writing. And it was just like, I'm just going to become like an acting monk. You yes. know, like, uh -huh. I wonder, I wonder how, how that would shape my reality. You know, you're like stealing things from my brain that have been just picking at me recently. I mean, really, so as you can see behind me, well, one, so like, I don't know if you know this, but my, what I call my comic is personal folklore. Yeah. Over, there my, you go. Like, right on. So yeah. Like, it's so perfect with the That's personal. Great. I must have seen that before. Um, and made note about that not. on your on your Instagram. Yeah. That's ringing a bell, but that's it's, crazy. I, wow. I, I love that. That was that whole structure, that story. That's so beautiful. But as you, I, I am so split in all different ways because, like, I I'm super lucky to get paid uh, to draw stuff. Essentially, my main gig is working for a coffee company, a local roaster, and we release two coffees a week. And I draw silly pictures for them, and I can do love whatever it. I want. People love the weird shit. It's beautiful. It's a super fun job, and it allows me to, uh, you know, keep the pencil moving and support a family and everything like that. But then, like, I always am like, I want to do these nine other things, and I want to make 
the comic and I want to do these paintings and I want to do this 3D printed little alien dudes and I want and I'm like <laughs> right no, yeah just stop yeah, like yeah. you can't do it all. but then I talked to more creatives and I realized that's just how we all work and we don't it's all connected and like you know like I I think there's there's value to both of those aspects because what you just said made me think of one of my favorite thinkers in the occult, Mitch Horowitz, where he talks about like, yeah, are you familiar with his work? And uh, yeah, his, a little bit. It, yeah, we haven't done, we haven't talked too much about him on the on the show. But another uh, person Horowitz I should connect, come up. I should connect you with. You would have a blast talking to him, and he would. You guys would get along famously. He's beautiful. Um, I've had him on twice, and they are like my favorite episodes. He's just so rad. So positive, but he talks a lot about the simplification of wishes. Like his whole uh, research, his whole work is in new age, um, you know, thought manifestation and people like uh, Neville Goddard, who, you know, his whole idea is that imagination is God. And we really do kind of like we were talking about earlier, form our realities around us in certain ways. And uh, Mitch his pursuit recently has been a simplification of those processes. Do we need the sigil? Do we need the meditation practice? Do we need, if we can just simplify what we truly, truly want, like not like no bullshitting ourselves, like sitting down, talking to yourself and being like, do you really want to be an actor? Is that really what you want to do? Or do you really want to write comics? And like really like hashing that out and then putting everything into that the simplification of that wish as there's a there's a power to it and he's been like writing and talking about that and i think there is something to that like singular focus you know of i of think there is intent. too i think there is too and you know it's funny because when i was a kid i was i drew i was i was the art one of the artists you know that's one of my, my questions so that's beautiful <laughs> that's really like if 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 you had seen me as a child, you would have said, oh, Michael is absolutely going to grow up and be a visual artist because I was always drawing. Um, my best friend and I, we would sit and write and draw comic books. Um, art, I, it's just like art was my, my favorite thing. And then when I was in late elementary school, middle school, and I always liked performing too. I mean, I absolutely loved being the center of attention. I was the class clown. <laughs> I remember in kindergarten, uh, I was selected with another, uh, like a handful of kids to like do a Smokey the bear play. And the librarian was directing it. And she had laid out all the masks of the different animals in Smokey the bear. And she's like, all right, which parts would you like to play? And I immediately was like, I'll be Smokey. Like I was just <laughs> like, I'm gonna, play the lead role here why Amazing. why wouldn't i you know um so so i have to acknowledge that there was a performer in me as well but but i wanted to be a disney animator i wanted to go that route i loved to, i loved warner brothers cartoons disney i wanted to draw like that um and and then that all tied into the i think the, one of the big reasons i got into comic books was in third grade my buddy Dave, um, I was over at his house and he's like, I got the new issue of G.I. Joe magazine. And there was a G.I. Joe magazine. There were a lot of like collectors magazines. And I and he and he showed it to me and I looked at it and I was like, this isn't a magazine. This is a comic book, you know, and he goes, <laughs> what do you mean? I was like, no, this isn't G.I. Joe magazine. This is G a G.I. Joe comic. 
And he's like, well, I got it at the grocery store, which was Dylan's, our local grocery store. And we went to the grocery store that day with his mom and we went to the comic book rack and Dave picked out the newest issue of G.I. Joe. And I was like, well, I want comics, too. And I picked Spider-Man because he had been my friend since I was three years old. And in the old Electric Company magazine, I used to love the Spidey super stories and I knew who Peter Parker was and I knew his supporting cast and his girlfriend was Mary Jane. I knew who I knew who Aunt May was. I knew who J. Jonah Jameson was. Um, and so I picked up uh, Amazing Spider-Man 304, which was uh, illustrated by Todd McFarlane. And yeah. the other comic I picked up was the post-crisis Superman 21 written and illustrated by John Byrne, which wow. had the first appearance of the uh post-crisis supergirl who was like the 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 purple alien shapeshifter mm-hmm. that i loved the art and and i loved i loved uh, it's, it's fitting that john byrne was one of my first comic books because he really became a definitive um comic book artist for me and his run on fantastic four is one of my all-time favorite comic book runs um but i was a little more confused by the multiverse sci-fi stuff happening in superman and i think i only lasted a few issues before i was like i can't wrap my mind what's going on around here i don't understand why supergirl is a purple (laughs) alien now but spidey i really related to really latched onto, and i've collected every single issue of amazing spider-man since that like summer in 1988 so like currently up to currently there was a that's amazing where, there was a period what the where fuck i was is it like these days oh, it, <laughs> it's okay um <laughs> sorry to be right. so blatant i haven't talked to anybody that currently reads marvel comics uh, i know well <laughs> and, uh, i got i gotta be honest with you it, it is a bit of a struggle i will say there's a great comic right now that jonathan hickman's writing called gods Oh, G-O-D-S, which you absolutely should pick up. Um, they're like on issue. I think issue four comes out next week as we record. Perfect. Um, really great artwork in there as well. Um, I recommend that it's all it's 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 Marvel, but it's all like new. Doctor Strange is in there a little bit, but it's all like new characters for the most part. And it's all That's cool. dealing with like sort of taking Kirby-esque ideas one step further and really playing <gasps> into uh occult and and like the weird magical science of the marvel universe so i i do recommend that book, but um oh that's great i want to talk to you about that yeah spider-man the amazing spider-man right now is okay it's written by zeb wells who's a writer that i really like um and and then uh john romita jr is doing a lot of the artwork on it and he's oh hell yeah favorite i love so it's yeah yeah it's 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 been better and I think like you're always going to love the the Marvel comics that you read as a kid, whatever, mm-hmm. where, whenever you started reading them, I think that's your favorite era. Yeah. Um, totally. It's like a comfortable pair of slippers, you know, it's yes. sort of like my soap opera that I, I just kind of keep, keep watching, you know? Yes. It's beautiful. I have my two best friends in the world. They come over my, my house is not far from our local comic shop and they come over after comic Wednesday, every Wednesday. And they, I have one friend that buys everything. And like, 
I can't ever ask him what he thinks because he just hates everything forever. So it's just not even worth it. You know, he's one of those yeah. guys that will spend yeah. all the money on everything, but claim to hate it all at the same time. Love him. Yeah. One of my favorite people in the world. But the other guy, he's very specific. And there's a, uh, and like usually I'll kind of pick his brain a little bit, but it's one of those things that like, I miss going to the shop every Wednesday and picking up books and I just stopped doing it because I have kids now and I need to spend my weekly yeah. toy money on them and not myself as much. So well, yeah. I, and it's <laughs> comics are so expensive now. It's like anywhere from five to $8 an issue, you know? So yeah. I've, I've cut back a ton. Um, but I, it's really the ritual that Wednesday ritual. I call it Burbank Wednesdays. Uh, with my fiance, I'm like, I'm going to Burbank Wednesday. Do you want anything? And, you know, I'll run up to Burbank and go to House of Secrets and pick yes. up some comics. And then I go to Coffee Commissary and I get myself a latte. And then I might poke around, you know, the area targets and see if there are any cool action figures out there, you know, run a little few Hell errands yeah. and then come back and prep a podcast because we tend to record on Wednesday night. So Wednesday's still like, and it's also why um bigfoot collectors club comes out on wednesday because it's new comic book day comic and i day. Con, bcc was designed to be i mean bryce and riley i don't you know don't really know this but like i designed it to be numbered and uh like a comic book you know so there was early on we had an issue we had episode zero which was kind of like issue zero and we had bonus issues and we would have summer. We used to do like our summer 4th of July special, which would be our summer annual. Um, yeah. But then once we kept kind of like graduating into networks, the numbering system became so confusing for everybody that I was like, <laughs> all right. But much but like was, comics themselves. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like the whole the whole idea is um, and that BCC was kind of like D, it's sort of a spin on DC. You know, it's this yes. idea of like it's not just a title it's also a brand um but yeah that was all comic book inspired all of, all of that stuff that's amazing dude there's so many things that i've written down from these last couple uh, uh topics we just caught up that i really i'm going to try this might be a little uh, all over the place but a little bit ago when we'll jump back just a little bit yeah. to when you were talking about the uh personal mythology process that you were going through are you do you, have, have you ever read any of eric wargo's work are you no, familiar? Never, no, not at all. Uh, some really awesome books, some really hard to get through on time. He's like the dude to read about weird time. Um, he wrote a book on um, precognitive events from artists and creatives that is beautiful and so good. But he has this rap about how the collective unconsciousness is he differs from the Jungian view and he a little bit, but he says that the collective unconsciousness is the books on your shelf, the TV shows on your TV, the uh, podcasts on your uh, phone, like the things the media we consume creates this collective unconscious more than just like the, uh, the thoughts and the people out there. It's these fictional works that we, uh, shape our lives and our morals with. And that just like clicked so hard with me when I read it. Cause I just had kids and I had realized that all the most important lessons that I'm teaching these kids are through fiction. Like when I want to teach them something that's a big, like, I want this to stick with you. It is through a, not necessarily a fable, but it's through a storytelling device of some sort. And that, that just really clicked I, with me. Well, but I would also say in response to that, that all of those 
movies and shows are all manifestations of the collective unconsciousness themselves. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a product of all of those archetypes and stories that we've been living with fiction, uh, you know, for, for, you know, since the dawn of, of, of time for us, you know, this is where I really got into in college as well. Around this time, I was really into, um, Joseph Campbell. And I think he's, you know, we've, we've gotten some clap back on BCC for talking about him because, you know, I think when you revisit some of it, there's not a lot of, he doesn't make a lot of room for like, uh, women in his stuff. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. Um, it's a very male centric worldview, Uh which I understand, um, the, the, the complaints there, but, I think the that was really a, a a big turning on moment for me, the lights aha moment, this idea of how fiction and myths are living tools in order to help us deal with living the great paradox of life, which is life feeds on life, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I, that was some, that was something that really stuck with me is like the, the, the horrible, I think it's like the horrible grand opera that we all participate in, which is life feeds on life. Right. And that is sort of the crux that we all are dealing with. How do I go from day to day knowing that in order to live other things die, whether that's mm-hmm. the food I eat, the animals I eat, or other people that die. So I thrive, um, war, you know, if we're talking about wars, wars that have happened hundreds of years ago, genocides that have happened hundreds of years ago, like, like this existence is a real mind fuck. And, you know, he even would say, and vegetarians don't kid yourselves. Plants are Mm -hmm. alive too. You know, there's no, there's, there's, there's like no way out of this. So you have to get good with, that paradox or find a way to live in balance within that paradox. And so far I have not found anything that has sort of debunked that for me. Mm -hmm. And so when we're facing the horrors of the worst news of the day, I I will come back to that and I'll be like, right, that's, that is the horrible, we can make it better. It needs to be better. It doesn't mean that there isn't, we can't create progress and we can't find ways to be more. I believe in being more creative than destructive, obviously, but it is sort of, I'm comforted by the idea of like, Oh yeah, that's, that's the whole, this is the whole nightmare and horror of living in the third dimension. You know, like this stuff exists and, and we're just trying to fucking wrap our brains around that while also being able to provide for ourselves and our families, you know, it's, hundred percent. These I, stories help us help us with with coping with that. I really feel, you know. I think you're absolutely right, and I think it's super interesting when you think about the cultural relationship with death that we have in, uh, you know, this side of the world, and the way it's been kind of manipulated from, I don't know, I guess like the church's inception. Like I, I've listened to someone really smart talk about how what things like the church did was make people try to make people not worry about death as much try to make Mm -hmm. people be like hey don't worry about it we're gonna you're good you're you're gonna go to this fluffy place you're gonna go to this bad place you don't gotta worry about it 
get on with the material stuff. Go make the stuff. Go build the stuff. Go make the jobs. Keep 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 society moving. When like, yeah, and we, then and then to, and then make sure you kick that money back to us back to the church. Cause we're the ones who are going to make sure you get to that fluffy place and not yeah. that other place that you don't want to go to. So it, it became a societal control, but it also decoupled the, um, the beautiful part of that horror that you just described that Campbell described, because there's a beauty to it. Like part of the paradox is the fact that we die and we kill everything along the way it's part of the magic. It's part of why things are so special. And like one of my favorite parts about, uh, like some of the weirder experiences that like Grant Morrison had and talks about in things like Super Gods and like his disinfocon talk when he went to uh, when he had his alien abduction experience and and all of that and like it was the message that was conveyed to him was that the reason that these entities from outside come to interact with us weirdos here on earth is because of the way we experience linear time. It's the fact that we have a beginning and an end and that's what you need to grow ideas. So we are like this giant idea farm that these other things come to grow and hatch. And like we're living in a, in a, uh, moving artifice like we are part mm -hmm. of an artwork and i love that and i think it lines up with exactly what campbell's saying and what people like ramdas say when they say things like everything's perfect like that kid that just died of the genocide the like everything is happening exactly how it's meant to happen and you have to trust it and like it's you know there's there's these through lines where they're all kind of saying the same thing in very different ways and i think it's really interesting to find those connections yeah and those are really hard concepts you know what i mean and i haven't fully wrapped my brain around a lot of those because you know atrocities are atrocities for a reason. And I know we're getting in sort of deep, dark territory here, but no, like it's, it, I, I, you know, there are times in my life where I've been angry where like, well, it's all happening for a reason. And it's putting, you know, it's like, well, no, fuck you. This is bad. <laughs> you know yep, what I mean? Yep. This is actually yeah, yeah. horrible. And, and tell that to the people that are going through it, you know? So oh, yeah. it's, I it's, was... a, it's a, no, no, no. And it, I, I, I'm just trying to write, you know, we are, it's all, all to say that like, we have to deal with really horrible truths in the reality that we're all trying to share. And at the same time, there are so many great things about the reality that we live in. So many wonderful things. Um, I experience that like on a daily basis when I'm cuddling, you know, just petting my dog and being like, this is it. Like, this totally. is what all of creation mm -hmm. should be is like <laughs> being loved and loving something and being able to be in a safe place to be able to do that. Yes. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? A hundred percent. And and I go, you know, so we have all that horrible shit that I see when I pick up my phone, but right here at home, close to me, tangible is this, and this is awesome. You know, um, yes. and I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but I, but I but I do think that we are living in a time when a lot of the dark stuff is getting amplified. A lot of the stuff that's always been there is being brought to light, which is important for us to see. But we're seeing so much of it that I don't think our brains can handle how much mm -hmm. yeah. how much, you know, everything is impacted by everything else. 
And I wish there was a balance where we could be enlightened and understand that there are the things that need to change, but also be able to to still feel good when you wake up in the morning and not (laughs) immediately worry about things that are happening all around the world. It's awful. It's awful, man. And there's no easy answer. And there's no right. And that's why so many people are like, shut up. Shut up. No, we like it the way it is. Don't don't change any of this stuff. But we have to we have to wake up to this stuff at the same time. The thing that I always I love, I completely agree with everything you just said. And I think it is important to talk about these things because it is paradoxical. And I think paradox exists at the core of everything. And I think it is more than ever a skill set that's going to need you're going to have to have like being comfortable with paradox to live in the future of uh, whatever we're going to in any way. But I think that there um there is something that, again, uh, Ram Das goes back to a lot when he's talking about working with dying people. You know, a big part of his work was sitting with dying people and working like end of life stuff. And his whole thing was you don't work on the dying person. You don't you, you just sit there and work on yourself and they feel that they get you. The whole thing is working on yourself to make the space more comfortable for them to feel mm-hmm. OK to work on their selves. And I think that is there's no bigger thing than death. Right. Like that can be applied to all of these things. If we it's not that we don't work on the communal projects and the global good, but really you got to work on yourself before you can do anything. It's like I mean, real basic, stupid shit that sounds like the back of a postcard, but it's so true, you know? Like, no, it, it is like, true. <clears throat> if, if everyone, if everyone actually didn't see um, working on yourself as, you know, I also think that's like something that's like cynically been called self-indulgent, yes. you know what I mean? Yes. And it's like, no, we need individuals to be smart and to be happy and healthy. It, collectively, we will have a much smarter, happier, healthier uh, yes. body politic and, and community and civilization. It, if all of us yeah. can 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 do that and then where people can't we do need to help help yes. them as much as possible to pull them out of whatever despair pits they're in you know because yeah. we'll all be better for it and i think it's there's so, like so go wild ahead, go ahead. To, no i was just like it's it's so wild just you know to think that <laughs> you know that some things have been labeled as as selfish you know, know when really you know, when, when, when like the true selfishness is just happening all, you know, I feel like it's happening yeah. all around us. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really, I'm losing the plot thread here. Um, but, you're doing but, great. And this is awesome because this is exactly what I love. One, you're right. Like the way, the way that people kind of, uh, talk down and i i see this all over especially with artistic tropes right like i think there's so many harmful like ideas of what an artist is that people are really like everyone's a fucking artist and like people have this very weird thing about like oh well that's a real artist and i just do this as a hobby and like those type of ideas and i think they're very harmful and the self-help one's the same thing where people even when i just said it like it sounds like a cliche that's on the back of a stupid postcard yeah, it does because it's real and it's true. And like, I think that like those kind of looking down on thinking that way, even the way people talk about like the secret, oh, it's all bullshit. And just like, you know, you don't manifest Mercedes Benzes and blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's not actually in the book. That's one of my favorite raps Mitch Horowitz goes through. He's like, there's no car manifestation in the book. These people, like he doesn't defend it, but he's like, look, this book has some good information. And if we all 
really, you know, to get a little bit weirder with it, like we've been talking about, if stories really do formulate so much of our reality, why not lean into the good ones? Like, why be so, I don't know, calling people out for toxic positivity or any of this? Like, who cares? At least they're being positive and like, you know... This yeah. is what I love too about Morrison. Uh, they said uh, in 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 the documentary about Grant Morrison, they talk about how um, uh, Superman, how they grew up. Their father was yeah. an anti-nuclear uh, pro activist. Is that, is that right? Or protester, yeah. nuclear protester, protester anti, activist, you know, yeah. activist. <laughs> thank you, activist. Yeah, anti-nuclear activist. And Grant Morrison talks about how they'd come home as a kid and there would be literature on nuclear holocaust sitting next to their comic book of Superman. And um, and they describe how like the nu- the nuclear bomb is the worst idea that humanity has put forward. Superman is the best idea. And why are we all running towards the worst idea when we should be running towards the ideal version of ourselves, which is, which is Superman, which I love, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, I, I, that's always really stuck with me too. Just give me goosebumps. That's my favorite. (laughs) And I, I, we talked about this on the show recently. I get nervous about all of the, post-apocalyptic dystopian sci-fi that we're cranking out because it almost just feels like it's just creating an echo chamber where we as a society feel that that's that's the inevitable future where you know and if we start telling ourselves this stuff that like well it is gonna all fall apart one day then Mm -hmm. it's going to because we're sort of accepting that as the only outcome you know absolutely so let's let's find the Let's tell more Star Trek stories. They don't make as good. Well, arguably, I don't know. I don't know if they make as good of movies, but this idea of let's work towards something that looks more like a federation trying to help uh, the reaches of the galaxy that, that, that have been touched by darkness. Let's, let's try to do more Star Wars stuff where good overcomes evil, where the bad stuff is overthrown um yes yes and and so i'm very much i remember when i was uh so there was a moment where i I did the um speaking of superman i did a a handful of years ago i was part of this um workshop for writers and artists called uh, a dc a new talent development workshop and it was a really cool course it was taught by scott snyder and it was designed to bring in new writers and new artists into DC and sort of be like the new rookie bench. And um, a lot of the writers and artists are still, are still working. Just, I don't think any of them are working at DC (laughs) after we wrapped with that project shortly after about a year or two, like Warner brothers got totally um, shuffled. A lot of the DC editors were fired so I had written, I like, I got to write an issue of Nightwing and I did a super, a part of a Superman story that I had written for the course was published in a, in a book called DC talent showcase or DC showcase something. Anyway, that's awesome. But during this period, we, the door was kind of open where we really had a direct Avenue to pitch projects. And this was around the time, uh, Trump had just been elected 
and movies like Suicide Squad were out there, but kind of bombing, like not the James Gunn one, but the first one. Uh And and the Scott Snyder or sorry, the Zack uh, Snyder uh, DCU movies, EU movies were so dark and gloomy. Yeah. And I pitched I pitched a book called The Super Squad, and it was sort of like the antithesis of Suicide Squad. And I was like, what if Superman just got all his super yes. friends. We got Supergirl, we got Steel, we got Superboy, and they're like, "All right, we're going to kind of come together and we're going to like fix it. We're going to fix yeah. it in a in a way that like the authority is not is, is sort of like the not the uncynical version of it. I wanted to do the like uh not the ultimate power corrupt story. I was like, "No, Let's do the thing where like Superman goes, I'm going to fix this fucking plane. Well, he wouldn't, he probably wouldn't say fucking, but I'm going to fix the planet (laughs) and I'm going to get my friends to help me out. And we're going to do this in, in a, in a way that represents humanity's best uh, values. And of course there'll be lots of fun people trying to, you know, villains and people trying to thwart them at every turn. And we could tell some really fun stories. And the feedback I got from one of the editors at DC was like, this is too positive. Nobody wants, nobody wants this. And, you just broke said, my heart. I was like, that's like the worst note said, ever. Yeah. I was like, that's not true. I was like, things are about to get real fucking dark in this country and people are going to want positive, upbeat, happy ending stories that are going to help them get through the shit. Yeah. And, you know, sure enough, you know, shit got bad, but you know, after 2017, 18, 16, 17, 18, and it's still pretty fucking bad. And, and I, I never got to make that book, but I stand by. And then I saw other people being like, Oh, people don't really want dark and gloomy right now. They want like positive stuff. It's like, yeah, duh. When, when things are feeling down, you want to go up when things are up. That's when you want to go down. When, 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 when things are good, That's that's when it feels fun to get, start thinking about how things could go bad. But, um, so I don't know. It just, it just struck me that even, even the company that, that has the character doesn't want to lean into the positivity and the things that make that character good. And we saw that with the movies that have come out with Superman recently, like nobody yeah. wants dark and brooding. That's Batman. Uh-uh. That's not what makes Superman cool. Yes. If they can make Captain America, cool which i think they really did in the mcu movies you can make superman cool he doesn't have to be like a total lame boy scout you can still yes like if superman's like the super parts about all of us then superman is also super cool you know yes dude morrison has this beautiful quote and i'll probably somewhat butcher it but he talks about writing superman and how people don't like to do it and they say it's boring he's like you know it's uh it's difficult because he can just fix everything he's too powerful but he says something along lines that he sees superman as a metaphor and how superman has the same problems and the same life that we do except it's all like a paul bunyan scale you know like he talks talks about like if if superman has to walk his dog he walks him in the asteroid belt when superman's uh uh you know family comes over they might be bringing like a giant space monster with them but it's still a story about a family visit and like there's right, this way right, to look right. at superman that like is a whole different thing and i mean all-star superman's one of my favorite comics ever written and i think he like just nailed it like and are yeah. you familiar with that whole story where he meets superman before yes. he writes all so, yeah it that's also, one of my favorites i like, want to i i just want to say for listeners and i i don't want to 
police you or myself too much, but I do. I believe oh, they Graham Morrison's come out as non-binary. They, so yeah, I know they. I, use, so it's 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 hard because I said he for so many years that you might you'll hear me trying to consciously use the this correct is not pronouns. The first episode in which I've been corrected, and <laughs> no, 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 several it's, episodes it's a, where I was really good at it, and then I it totally is that thing where I wanted like, to hey. explain why I was using they them pronouns. I I was corrected and didn't I I missed this news, and of course this makes perfect. I, I don't want to say this makes perfect sense for Grant Morrison because I don't want to trivialize uh, sure. their their identity, but like. I this makes, also don't this, think they would have a problem with the no, slits this, or anything along those yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so no, that's a thank you for uh, thank you for doing that because I I was conscious of it actually when you were saying it. I was like, oh yeah, remember that. But then I get really excited about talking about I, it. And, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, we're all doing oh. our best. You know what I mean? That's, Absolutely, that's the, most, that's the most important thing. But yeah, so but, there, there's a story where they met uh, a cosplayer hanging out, I think, at a bar dressed yep. as Superman. And Grant Morrison was like, oh, man, I got to go. to." Apparently, this this guy looks so much like the real real deal or like the um, sort of 1950s barrel chest version of Superman. The Grant Morrison was like, I, I got to talk to them, approached them as Superman and had a conversation with them. And Morrison says that I love that they said, um. The, the 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 cosplayer was so nonchalant, comfortable, leaning on the bar, very relaxed, very posed, very vulnerably open. And Morrison has this light bulb moment where they go, oh, right. Superman, we see so many images of Superman, like hands on hips, looking stiff as a board and strong mm-hmm. like a statue. And if you're Superman, you don't have to have your guard up in any room that you go into. Yes, because yes. nothing can fucking bullets bounce off of you. So you're going to yep. have the most in your body energy. And they really wanted to convey that in all-star Superman. So you see that sort of that more relaxed posture of Superman, which I love because, because also like Superman by the rules of the comic book, unless, unless you want to argue that the, uh, the, the yellow sun, like literally pumps his muscles up. There's no reason that Superman needs to be jacked either, Absolutely. you know, yeah. because if my body type came from Krypton and landed here on Earth, I'd be stronger than anybody than everybody either. You know what I Absolutely. mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love that. That is such a good it's one of my favorite stories. And I love that they tell it in a way that they actually met Superman. They're yes. like, like they tell it like this was a hyperstition or a breach in fiction or something coming yeah, from an the avatar other. And, and and for for yeah. for better or for worse or not for better or for worse but for all intents and purposes it was yes absolutely and i think there's there's so many instances of comics where that happens i mean you hear the ones about constantine and uh corazon with neil gaiman's one of my favorite ones where you know uh, he meets Cor- uh, a guy that looks like corazon at a bar and tells him he has to be put back into the comic because we need to keep the memory of corazon alive and corazon's an actual like ancient demon and everything whoa i don't know in. if i've heard Have that heard- story from gaiman that's rad it's in, I cover it with, uh, I did an episode with uh, Miguel, our Red Pill Junkie, a little bit ago, and it's cu- he, we covered it on that, but it's in one of the Sandman collections. There's a written account from Neil Gaiman in there where he talks about it. I'll see if I still have the PDF I can send cool. you. Uh, yeah, it's so good. But those those instances where 
fiction kind of blurs the lines of reality and you meet these like it makes so much sense to me in the realm of comics because of the amount of imaginal work that's going in like you know uh we talked briefly about mutants and mystics the book by dr jeff kripal and one of my favorite stories in that is the accounts of barry windsor smith that he talks about where he had these like cosmic experiences where he saw the future essentially because he was having nine hour drawing sessions working on these conan deadlines that were just insane and he would just literally fall into a black void and get these cosmic uh messages or he'd see things that happen in the future that he like would come true and all this stuff it's so beautiful i think like do you, have you ever uh, kind of thought about how comics have like this special almost like labor intensive uh workload for the imagination that might open up these uh realms a little bit more? oh sure i mean that story you just told ring a bell um i can't remember oh yeah i don't know if you've ever read uh marvel comics the untold story by sean howe this is a really great read it's really Ooh. really good and there's a great chapter they cover like all the eras of marvel um it's awesome and um like the good the bad the ugly all of it and there's a great chapter when they're talking about like 70s era marvel that it you know this is around the time like marvel stanley wasn't so involved with the books anymore and they were kind of like losing themselves and star wars was getting big and they were they were trying to figure out what the next you know era of marvel comics was going to be and jim starlin and oh god who else who was he with i can't remember it might have been it might have been somebody like steve gerber but they're okay they're i don't think it was roy thomas but um basically jim starlin the guy who wrote you know created thanos and warlock yep. and you know all these major characters that are part of the mcu now there's this just this anecdote about them walking around manhattan at night leaving the offices and uh tripping on acid and coming up with Thanos and all of these characters while doing these long creative walks through New York Amazing. on acid. Amazing. And it's like, and you can really see that influence, you know, when you're like, Oh, all of the, like some of the biggest players in the cosmic Marvel universe came through, uh, into Jim Starlin's brain. Uh, brain during acid trips that makes sense you know you can yes. see it on the page so th that's another thing where i it's like it's laborious but it's also a matter of like channeling stuff you know yes. i know i'm sure you experienced this my best ideas and unfortunately i don't uh always write them down and i don't always uh act on them but i feel like so many of my best ideas feel like ideas that have been there like that were just there waiting to be dis be discovered. And, and I was like, Oh, I found it. Oh, this is a great yes. idea. Right. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. And, and, and there's something about, I do feel like there's something to whatever the zeitgeist is where if you don't do it, somebody else is going to, is going to do it. I the remember ideas coming no matter what you just yeah. got to grab on or someone else is going to grab it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember going into early in my Hollywood career a friend of mine from college was working with a producer at Warner brothers and we were sp spitballing ideas to pitch. And we went in, we came up with an idea and this was all uh, 
because I loved comics. And um, actually, this was uh, uh, my friend Neil who went on to uh, co basically produce uh, the Lucid comic book that I did with Arkea. Uh, Very before, cool. Before that happened, we went in to pitch to his boss and we came up with a handful of shows and two of the ideas we pitched. One was a, a TV show about zombies, um, about a woman who was stranded in New York. And I, I might still use this, so copyright copyright this, anybody listening. <laughs> but a woman, a woman who was stranded in New York during the zombie apocalypse and she had been having an affair and the zombie apocalypse hits and she's trying to get back to her family on the West coast during the zombie apocalypse. Wow. Right. Awesome. And he was like, no one likes shows about zombies. I don't want to do no zombies. Aren't good. Zombies don't sell. Or there's no zombies are for movies, not for TV shows. You can't do a zombie TV show. Right. <laughs> and then the other show we pitched was, a show about normal people that start to get superpowers and how that would play out in a world where there weren't any superpowers that superpowers are only in comic books. Yeah. And he's like, no one's going to want to make that show. They only want to make uh, shows about pre-existing characters. You have to come up with all these new characters you need existing IP. This will never work. And like, <sighs> Within the next two years, Heroes came out and Walking say, Dead was a massive Walking fucking Dead. hit. And I, we were just wow. like, I was like, this, this is the thing. If you have these ideas, like it's, it's, I don't think they just belong to you. I, th I think there's sometimes I really think that there is a, there's some sort of library of ideas yep. out there. J.K. Rowling um, talks about how creating Harry Potter she was on a train and suddenly the image of Harry Potter just popped in her head, a boy with a scar on his head with glasses. And she was like, wait a minute, who is this kid? I have to yep. figure out who this kid is. And that's where that's where that all started. Right. So where did totally. these ideas come from? And and if she hadn't tapped into Harry Potter, I feel like somebody else absolutely would have you know yeah no i completely agree i love this line of thought because it's been consistent with everybody i've talked to artists musicians writers actors no one takes credit for their ideas everyone's like i'm lucky i got this one like i'm a part yeah. of this but like no one like even i've talked to some people that push back a little bit against it and like no it's definitely me but then when i like really they're like yeah, I guess it's not all me. Like, well, I, like I, there's, I think, yeah, I think you can take the credit for your filter that the idea comes yes, through because yes, the idea is going to come out. If you catch an idea before I do, it's going to come out. It's going to be executed in a different way. It's still a good idea, right? Yes. If, and if, I, if you miss that idea and I execute it, it's going to be different. You know, it might be good. It might be bad. But um, so I do think that like, it does it does filter through our consciousness it does filter through our creative tools totally. so that's how we you know jk rowling's harry potter is a different harry potter than uh if grant morrison had had, had 
done Harry Absolutely. Potter. Absolutely. And there actually, was probably think, 10 other people doing a different version of Harry Potter at that time that no yeah. one knows about because it wasn't. I think ideas are meant for certain people. Just like, you know, I think things are all like kind of lined up with how they're supposed to come to people in a big way. But I think that it, what my favorite part of this like line of thinking is it allows people to realize that we're connected in a really weird way. Like if we can all connect to this idea pool, whatever it is, or these ideas can be accessed from different people. Doesn't that also kind of imply that like more of us is connected than isn't? <laughs> yeah. And it, it also shows too, that like you can get a good idea and you can fuck it up too. So yeah, there is a responsibility to yeah, usher. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you seen a movie show, read a comic book where you're like, I love this idea, but the execution sucked. You know, we might be able to do a whole nother podcast on this because this is something that I want to talk to you about. And I, I talked to Steve Berg about maybe having you on for a uh, three-way discussion, but great. Let's this do it. just makes me think of Lynch, like his, the way he talks about where ideas come from and how you have to follow the idea. You do not disservice the idea. And like the idea of the workshop that you have to be ready to execute on ideas, no matter when they come. This is like my favorite stuff in the world. And I know you're a big Lynch fan and I'd love to talk I, to you about that. I've I feel like made, we could do another hour. <laughs> I, I've made, I will say the biggest mistakes, the biggest repeated mistake I make as a writer is I will get an I a good idea and I will get the urge to execute on that idea immediately. The inspiration be like, I got to do this. I got to do this now. And I, so far, 10 out of 10 times, I've told that idea to be, hey, you're cool, but be quiet because I'm trying to I'm working on on something else. Mm -hmm. And then over time. I'll lose steam on that idea or somebody or somebody else will, will I'll be yeah. like, God damn it. I was going to do that, you know? <laughs> and then you realize, well, I had that idea three years ago and I felt inspired to do it then. And I didn't do it, yes. you know? So there's a responsibility that comes along when you, when you get these ideas and, and, and I need to be better about, you know, striking while the iron's hot, I think. And not to give you advice at all, because I hate giving anyone advice, but to bring it full circle. Please. I love maybe advice. You sh maybe don't worry about being too singularly focused because you don't know. Like if you <laughs> yeah. if you shut down and you're like, I'm only acting, there's so many ideas that you're going to do that to. They're like, true. you never know what's going to hit. Like that's, uh, comics are one of my favorite examples. Like finding out how old Kirby was when he did Fantastic Four and the fact that he had oh, nine yeah. different, like that makes me feel so good for whatever reason. Like finding out how old the Ramones were when they recorded their first record. Like all these instances where you think these people come out fully formed beautiful artists and you're like no they had nine careers before this and like i'm reading yeah. uh hyperion by dan simmons for the first time right now have you read hyperion i haven't i've heard so, great things oh but. dude this is one of those weird personal mythology moments i guess or synchronicitous moments it was one of those books that i had in all my time on this planet as a nerd i if i had heard about this book it i i didn't hear it you know what i mean yeah I never seen the cover. The cover's really cool. It's got like classic sci-fi cover of this like dude on all the called the Shrike and like all this like black leather, spiky head to toe, full body armor. Looks like a looks like a uh, John Romita Jr. character actually from Thor or something. But um, hell yeah, standing on this you know alien planet scape, and I had been in Barnes and Noble finding something else, probably looking for books for BCC and. 
just randomly found this book and was like, this looks cool. Oh, it won a Hugo. Fuck it. I'll six bucks. I'll buy this, you know, put it on my shelf. And then then within a couple weeks, I was in a bookstore again and I saw it on display as like one of the staff picks. And I was like, hey, that's that book that I picked up a while ago. What? You know, I've never Mm -hmm. heard of it before. And here it is. And then uh, about a month later, I hadn't read it yet. <laughs> Just by the way, it took me ten months to start reading it. <laughs> I uh, I went to my my visit friends in Amsterdam, and my friend uh, one of one of them was uh, Mike was doing a book club, and he goes, "Hey, uh, our next book is this book called Hyperion. Have you ever read it?" And I was like, "Where the fuck? This book is coming out of nowhere all of a sudden, and it's like hitting hard in my my, my yeah. sphere right now." So I finally started reading it Um, again. I do this thing where like, no, I, I set myself up the task this summer to like read every star Wars novel (laughs) in chronological order and comic. Some I've read some I haven't because I just want to do it and say that I did it. And it's been a slog. I will say that as much as I love star Wars, it's been a slog. The novels do not, grab me very easily uh but um so so uh a couple uh, about a week ago i was like you know what i'm gonna read this hyperion book and i am so into it and i'm loving every fucking page of this book it's so well written it's so cool it's got like elements of alien and elements of blade runner um it's it's so beautifully written and i was like who is this dan simmons guy so i started doing a little research on him he was an elementary school teacher who did not have his first pub first published short story until he was in his 30s um and he was just about to give up on pursuing writing when he went to a conference that harlan ellison uh was giving and critiquing people's work and harlan ellison basically was like who's dan simmons who wrote this story? This story is great. <laughs> and um, he then took that short story, rewrote it, and it, it ended up getting published. And he won an award that year for that. And he didn't write uh, Hyperion until he was in his early 40s. So, wow. you know, it just shows That's you. So that, like, cool. The, and then and then and now he's like considered to be a, a one of the great, great modern sci fi writers. There's also a lot Absolutely. of like a heavy Dune influence in it. But it also feels like its own thing. It's such a good book if you haven't read it. It's so right, I'll have to check that out. It's it's one of those great books that has like big ideas and like world building stuff and terminology that you're like, okay, wait a minute. Uh, all right, the world. Okay, <laughs> I gotta I gotta remember some names of things. But it's so digestible and so readable at the same time. So I love amazing. I love it. That's beautiful. I love that. I love those stories. It's just one of those things where like, I mean, again, I am so grateful to be an employed working artist and it's a, uh, it's, uh, it, I, I have no aspirations of having any kind of uh, big hit of anything, but I've recently said that I want to be a children's book uh, writer and illustrator. Like that's my new, I think it's really important to never give up the, I want to be this like, you know, mentality yeah. in, in life. You and like, can do it. that's like the, the, the thing that like, I, Telling stories, I think, is just having kids has made me reinvest in telling stories so much. Like it just really like something I've always loved and I've just never, never had an outlet for it in a certain way that like having kids has allowed me to have, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. It's really it's 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 pushed me in a lot of interesting ways. But, dude, we're 
all over an hour here, and I don't want to yeah, keep you sorry. all day. I can no, we could go for another two hours. I would have oh, no yeah, problem easily. with that, but I would, uh, I would much prefer to uh, keep me from rambling too much because I drank about, let's see, I tasted 15 coffees today, like right before we talked, <laughs> and it's man. all crashing down. So if I was Got a little it, rambly, yeah. it was uh, the extra <laughs> no. caffeine. Part of the benefits of doing the artwork for the coffee companies, I get to go taste. No one loves an open-ended tangent yeah. more than I do. Good, good. Of this, of this podcast, I've discovered. So I learned after like a year of doing this that that's not technically how you ask a question to just say something and wait for somebody to respond. But I still <laughs> do it all the time. I'm just like, especially with folks like you, like you know. Uh, like I've heard you I've been listening to the BCC since you started like you were one of the oh, only thanks. podcasts that started in the realms of like oh this doesn't have like a giant backlog that I like I started pretty much with y'all and I don't even know Rad. how. Oh, I don't I really that. know how but uh it's awesome to talk to someone like yourself where you know I've heard you in my head for years now and now you're responding and I have to stop myself and like be like <laughs> oh yeah I probably should somewhat try and structure something because i definitely i'm not good at that but this was perfect like i'm so glad that we were able to just kind of uh, i think it was probably like 20 percent about comics maybe but like it was, was exactly what i a wanted through line of comic books in there <laughs> and if you want to come back and talk more about comics and only talk about well, comics i'll be happy to I, do that I want to talk about a million things because there's so much more I wanted to ask you. I have a ton of questions written down here, including more specifics about your comic writing because I knew it was something. I didn't know that you've done stuff for DC and stuff. I had only known the stuff you've talked about through BCC pretty much. Yeah. And like, that's really awesome. And I'd love to talk to more about your interactions with the industry because that's oh, fascinating yeah, I've got, to me. i got stories, it's yeah. fascinating to me that like the biggest talk about paradox right the biggest cultural thing that's happened in years what started it what like a good comic sells 10,000 copies 20,000 copies now yeah, like you yeah. you look at like back in the heyday it was millions like oh, it was yeah. like like it's crazy one, Todd McFarlane uh like, Jim Lee's X-Men millions of copies it's crazy the fact that like Rob um, Liefeld was in was in Nike commercials directed by Spike yes. Lee crazy yes, that's crazy and the man and cannot like, draw ankles <laughs> yeah everything lots of grass or rocks well placed yeah, like yeah, yeah very very much that it, it it's just so funny to me how fictional characters get introduced to different people and the way that they like different generations and how comics are not what people think of when they think of spider-man anymore and how like I, I just give a talk at my old college last year they had me come back to talk to the current illustration class about being a working professional there's still this mentality that you can go and just be a professional cartoonist for like marvel or dc and i'm like you kind of can maybe but like don't know like you like like you can be a cartoonist but plan on taking illustration jobs plan on taking design jobs yeah. make t-shirt like find other it's gonna Jack be kirby was drawing fashion ads and yes and cat and illustrations and catalogs for years. how many pot like he did the prisoner artwork he did like so many things that like he did in the background that Conceptual people just don't even know yeah. like no one really makes their money it, very i would say 10 percent of cartoonists actually I, make their money off of cartooning you you know, like, yeah. oh, like, I've made <laughs> very little money in the comic. You can make money in comic books. I've made yeah. very little yeah. and have, have found it to be 
you know, I found it to be as almost impenetrable, if not more than being an actor in Hollywood. Like it's, it's tough. It's a very, it's also another world. I will say if anybody's listening to this, who wants to like, by all means go for it, but it is also another world where it's like, it's who, you know, like get to know, get to know editors, get to know the people who are putting these teams together. Um, that's very, very important. And sometimes, you know, and there are other, there are editors out there that are really rad that I've worked with yeah. and editors who would literally not return an email when another editor <laughs> was like, Hey, you should get to know Michael. He's into this character and yeah. wouldn't even get a response. And actually that's those, a bummer. I, that editor went on to get fired. So I'm <laughs> my final yeah. message to them was there's more comics being sold in the world than ever. They are just not superhero comics. What people are interested in now, like YA comics, you can sell oh, yeah. more comics that like, if you go into Barnes and Noble, dude, look at the comic section, like go to target. Com- yeah. Go to dog target. Man, any of them. Dog yeah, man, oh, bad guy, Dave, you know, like Dave Pilkey is, is. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Dave Pilkey has sold more comics than probably any like Marvel DC thing in the past, like 30 decades. Probably like the, the, the fun, same thing with like Regina Talmaker with sisters and ghosts and all of those, like those books have legs and bones. One of my favorite examples, Bone, Jeff Smith's bone that. is just like the most beautiful thing. Okay. This is a whole other tangent, but it's yeah. super, super interesting. How there we go. We got some comics in at the tail end. (laughs) Big Bone fan. Dude, let's definitely set something up to talk more because I would love to talk to you about all this stuff as well as more about like your, like I'm always interested in how people's fascinations with the weird stuff parallels with their interest in comics and creating and how the whole thing gels together. So I'd love to get some more of that stuff on the record. And I would love to just have a talk about Twin Peaks with you because I feel like you oh, don't dude. get to talk about Twin Peaks nearly as much as you'd like to. <laughs> I can't get Bryce to watch it. It's so sad. It's, it's real. How does he like I love hearing how Bryce has gone down like the ja- John Mack rabbit hole with I mean John Mack's my favorite. Like I love how much he's into the more uh, uh, spiritual side of things and like I think I could have a real fun conversation with Bryce about a lot of that stuff. Oh, but it does sure. blow my so mind. It blows my mind that Twin Peaks hasn't hit him because it's the best. It is the best description of high strangeness or the occult or anything else that's ever been made. And like it, it's everything he would love. Like it's so so funny. But yeah, you know, it is what it is. I have several friends that are the same way. That just you can lead a horse to to water. Yep. You know what I mean. Yep. All right. My dogs are going nuts. I gotta go see what they're barking at. Uh, Thank you for having me. Um, Thank you. And I'll say if anyone's interested, if they're still listening. Check out uh, my my book Adventure Van uh, is still available through Golden Apple Comics. If you go to goldenapplecomics.com, you can order it there. Um, awesome. And uh, and then yeah, so check that out. And I'll make sure to plug the podcast, all the stuff. I'll have links to everything. And thank you so much for doing this, dude. It was a blast. Anytime, Todd. It was my pleasure. Talk soon. Thanks, buddy.